morning. It's really good to be back. I took six weeks off. I'm all rested. You guys are not used to me anymore, so I can surprise you again. Uh, we're starting a new series. Uh, we've been doing Matthew kind of like from the start of the year, and we're not doing that. Uh, so for the next few weeks in the summer, to sort of like wrap up the summer, we're going to actually be in Joshua. We're not strictly going to be in the book of Joshua. We're going to be doing lessons from the life of Joshua. So we'll be sort of looking at one person, Joshua, and saying, how did God use him? How was he uh, submitted to God? And, and sort of what are some things that we can draw from his life that will help us uh, as we try to walk with God? Uh, so that's where we're going to be for sort of the next few weeks. One thing about people studies, like when you study a person, you can't, it's hard to separate them from their environment. It's hard to look at a person that's an individual and say, oh, well, you would act the same way in a different environment. So it's helpful to sort of start off by looking at not just who Joshua is, but kind of where he comes from. And so we're going to be in Exodus 24. That's where we're going to start today. But I want to start, I'm not going to go through any specific verses, but I want to talk through the first part of Exodus so that we can get the idea of, of who Joshua is and, and where he comes from. So Joshua was born in slavery in the land of Egypt, right? So when we think about Egypt and Israel leaving Egypt, we think of Moses. That's where our brain goes. That's kind of Moses' story, right? He was raised in Egypt, and then he leaves, and then he gets called by God to go back to Egypt, and then he leads the people of God out of Egypt. Joshua was there for all that. He was born as a slave in the land of Egypt, and he would have been raised in Egypt, probably worshiping God at some level, but also he was raised as a slave. And so when, when we see Moses, and Moses is doing all these amazing things that, that God has led him to do, Joshua's there. And he's not necessarily right next to Moses. Some of the later stuff he actually is, but he's there experiencing that real time. So when we think about the things that Moses did, right? Moses is standing in the Egyptian throne room talking to Pharaoh. And Joshua is a guy that's back in the land of Goshen. And he's waiting for the report of how that conversation went. Moses is the guy that's standing there. He's got the staff and he's parting the Red Sea, right? And Joshua is a guy that's walking through the Red Sea being like, this is crazy, right? Like, this is ridiculous. When, when, we have, when we see this Passover celebrated, you know, everybody's, they kill the lamb and they're eating it overnight. They're waiting for the word that they're going to just be able to leave. And they've got their coats on and their belts on and they're literally waiting to just leave the land of Egypt. Joshua's one of those guys. He's one of the guys that hears the angel of death, like the death people dying all around in Egypt. And he's aware of the fact that this is what God's doing to deliver. So Joshua's story sort of begins with this experience of God mightily working through the people of, of Israel and through Moses. And, and Joshua experiences that firsthand. So Joshua was born in slavery. He's born in Egypt and he experiences God's deliverance firsthand. And that's very important because that's the foundation for a lot of the stuff that Joshua goes through and a lot of the, the, the man that Joshua becomes, the leader he becomes. And it's important for us as we learn from Joshua that we start with that same foundation. Meaning, if Joshua's starting point is God rescuing him from slavery, then our starting point has to be, as a part of the people of God, that God has rescued us from slavery right? Not slavery in Egypt, not hard labor, but the slavery of sin. Uh, in Galatians, Paul writes this. 
He says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. And so our story, if we, if we are followers of Jesus, our story is that we were enslaved to sin, that we didn't have freedom, we couldn't make good decisions on our own, we just chose sin. That was our default natural heart position, that we were in rebellion against God and we were enslaved to sin. And Jesus came into the world and died on the cross in order to free us from that slavery. And so when, when we read the story of Exodus, that's... that's an example of how God redeems people, how he saves people, how he rescues people out of slavery. And so when we read that as a part of Joshua's story, we have to realize that we have experienced a similar thing where we were enslaved to sin, we were, we were captured by that, and God said, no, I'm not going to allow you to stay that way. I'm going to lead you out of that. I'm going to free you from that. And so our freedom didn't come by going through the Red Sea. Our freedom came by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so now our response to to Jesus' death on the cross is we have to accept him as our Savior, and we have to act like we're the children of God because he's done that, right? So we come to Jesus in faith, and we're like, I recognize that I'm a slave to sin. I recognize that I can't choose the right thing. I need you. I need your righteousness. I need you to give it to me because I can't do it on my own. And then Jesus comes into our lives, and he says, yeah, absolutely. He gives us his righteousness, and we're like the, the verse says, adopted into the family of God. So we are a part of the people of God, not because of anything great that we've done, but because Jesus died for us and he adopted us into his family, right? So that's the, that's the foundation. That's the basis for Joshua's story. That has to be the basis for our story. So my first question for you this morning is, have you experienced God's deliverance? Have you experienced being rescued from slavery to sin in order to be a part of the family of God, to become a part of the people of God? Because if you haven't done that, a lot of what we're going to say today and through this series, it's not going to be super helpful. It may not even make sense, to be honest. But if you've got that, if you've said, no, I've actually received Jesus as my Savior, I'm free from sin, I'm free from the slavery of sin, and I'm trying to walk with him, then all of a sudden all of this makes sense, and, and we can walk through this a little bit easier. So So my first question is, have you experienced God's deliverance? And if the answer is no, then I would invite you to do that this morning. You need to come to Jesus and be like, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. I'm a slave. I can't get out of this on my own. So looking at Joshua, what's going to happen is we're going to look at different traits of Joshua through this series. And the first one that we're looking at this morning is Joshua's humility and his teachability. And what we're going to see is that as we talk about these things, they build on each other, but they also interact with each other. So we'll see some things today about his humility and teachability, and I think what's going to happen is we'll recognize Joshua's humility in a lot of the other things that he does. And in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about his courage. And you'll notice some of his courage this morning, but we're not going to focus on it. And, and then other weeks, we're going to talk about his faith. And, and so these things are all like connected and, and they really sort of, as a group, come together and show us who Joshua was and, and how he was a man of God. So we're going to notice these different character traits. Don't think that this is the only place that we see these traits or that, you know, we, they're linear or something. They're, they're not. They're just, this is this guy, and we're going to take different examples and sort of learn about who he is. 
But this week, we're talking about humility and teachability. And the fact that I'm opening the series is a little ridiculous. Because <laughs> if you know me, <laughs> I'm not the humble one, right? Like, it wasn't like we went through as the teaching team and we're like, all right, where's everybody strong? Nate, you're the humble one. You better take humble. No, no, that's not how this went. I don't have a lot of success in being humble, to be honest. Uh, and if I did, would it be humble for me to stand up here and tell you that I was super successful? There's this whole, like, yeah, I don't know. I actually, I've tried to be more humble. I've, I've worked on it at different times in my life. Um, I read a book called Humility. That's not the setup for a joke. I actually read the book called Humility. And, and it's a little bit weird because as I'm reading this, I'm like, this guy is just talking about how much success he's had in becoming more humble, which seems like bragging about his humility. And I don't think he meant it ironically, but it's, it's pretty ironic. It's a little weird. The problem is, is that guy, this guy particularly, a couple years later, he was asked to step down as, as the pastor of his church, not because of like one big sin, but because he ignored a lot of the wisdom of the people around him. And I was like, mm, maybe he wasn't as good at being humble as he thought he was. Maybe, maybe he should have waited a little bit to publish that book, right? And part of the problem is because we don't work on humility, we don't realize how important it is. We don't realize how much pride we have. And so we're like, no, I'm, I'm pretty good in that. I'm pretty good at being humble. I think I've got that covered. And that's obviously a problem. Like you can't be proud of how humble you are. And yet we do that. We 100% do that. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. We, we quote the Apostle Paul, right? Like Apostle Paul says, you know, Jesus came to save sinners and I'm the worst sinner. And we'll quote that and pretend that that's really our attitude. But we all look at Paul and we're like, nah, man, you weren't the worst sinner. And let's be honest, I'm not the worst sinner either. Like we, we just have this base attitude of we're probably pretty good. Yeah, I needed Jesus to save me. But also, I mean, Jesus wanted me on his team. For sure, Jesus wanted me on his team. And the problem is that when we quote that, we're sort of warping what humility really is. The Tyndale Bible Dictionary called, says this about humility. Humility is considered the proper attitude of human beings toward their creator. Humility is a grateful and spontaneous awareness that life is a gift, and it is manifested as an ungrudging and unhypocritical acknowledgement of the absolute dependence upon God. We're not humble, and that means that we don't depend on God. That's really kind of what it comes down to. We think of humility as being like really low and sort of groveling. It's not about, you know, telling everybody how terrible you are. It's about telling everybody about how amazing God is. It's, it's a focus on God and his glory and his beauty rather than on myself. And so all the good things that I have or that I do, I acknowledge that those were gifts of God. Even if it's sort of like a natural talent, God created me that way. If it's something that I've worked really hard to achieve, God gave me the ability to achieve that. And, and I have to focus on God and his grace and his mercy toward me if I want to be humble. And that's really kind of the starting point of what it is. It's not about I'm terrible. It's about God is great. And so we focus on God. We focus on his greatness. And, and we don't focus on ourselves positively or negatively. If we focus on ourselves either way too much, that's just you're focused on yourself. So our big idea for this morning is this. Being humble and teachable is a result of a relationship with God and grows us into maturity and service. Now, if you don't have maturity and service as things that you want to achieve, 
That's probably because you're not humble enough and you need to spend more time with God, but we'll get there. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Joshua and a couple things in his life, and some of these are examples of humility, and some of them are points where you recognize that Joshua's learning humility. So he gets there kind of at the end of his life maybe, but he's still, he's still in process as, as we're looking at the, him this morning. So Exodus 17 is the first time that we actually see Joshua popping up. Uh, so we're going to start in chapter, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Just give you a little bit of background. Israel is past the Red Sea. They've gotten away from Pharaoh. They're in the desert. They are traveling to the mountain of God. Uh, and these Amalekites, Amalekites, something like that, are coming and they're raiding Israel. So Amalekites were desert raiders. They would come in, they would steal from people, and they would take off with their stuff. Uh, and so they're coming in and they're attacking Israel sort of when they have the opportunity. They're opportunistic raiders. So Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of a hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Whenever Mo Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek under, from under heaven. So we see this story of Joshua having some level of success in the thing that God has called him to do. But through that, God is also trying to teach him a level of humility. He's supposed to experience some humility in that success. So I want to go through a couple of the different phrases in that story to kind of pull that out. The first word that I want to look at is choose. <clears throat> Joshua is supposed to choose men to go out and fight. Now, we talked about the fact that they just came out of slavery. None of these guys are trained fighters. Nobody trains slaves to be fighters. That's not really a good, good idea, right? So there's not a whole lot of people that have the ability to go out and win this battle. And so Joshua is not going out and being like, all right, well, we've got this huge army. Let's take the best of the best and we'll go win this battle. He's like, all right, who here is not handicapped? We're going to start with that. Who here is under the age of 50 and can walk? Who can run? Okay, we've got people between the ages of 20 and 50 that can run. We're off to a great start. Does anyone have a weapon? And then, you know, that eliminates 90% of them. He's like, all right, well, I guess this is it. Let's go, guys, right? And they've got a 24-hour turnaround before they're supposed to fight. So not really the time to turn them into, like, this elite fighting force. It's basically like, all right, you, 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 let's go. We've got to fight tomorrow, and I hope that we do this. So he's, and, and that's, that's the starting point for the army. Choose some guys. Okay, we've got some guys. We're ready to go fight. And then the plan is Moses is going to stand up there and hold up his hands. You go fight. That's not the best plan, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it apparently is because God's in charge. But honestly, if you're Joshua, you're like, this is the worst plan ever. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was a slave too. Now I'm in charge of a bunch of other slaves and we're going to run out in the desert and we're going to fight some guys. 
I guess this is the plan that we're going with, right? And, and in spite of the fact that this is not a great plan and they ought not have any success, and this is, this is the setup for a Hollywood movie about this amazing comeback that you're like, never, too unrealistic, too ridiculous, we're not buying this, this is crazy and dumb. Like, this is an unrealistic storyline. And yet, Joshua goes out and he obeys. He's like, all right, Moses, if you're the one that's doing this. Now, and there's not even like pushback, so if you're Joshua, you're down in the valley, you're like, I'm going to be the guy with the actual sword trying to actually fight other people. And Moses is the leader, and he's up on the hill. So we lose, you're fine. Like, I'm noticing this is a pattern, right? Like, I'm going to be the guy that dies, and you're going to be good. Uh, but he's like, all right, you know what? Moses, you're the one that's in charge. You're the one that talks to God. I guess we're going to do it your way. And even with no training and what appears to be a terrible plan, in verse 13, what happens? Joshua wins. It says Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. So apparently he did a good job in spite of all the odds against him, in spite of any chance for him. Like nobody actually thought this guy's going to win. It's like, yeah, go out there. You have the fight. You lose. And then we, I don't know, go hide before they raid us again. Like there's not a reason why he should have won. And yet he's standing there afterwards like, hey, we did okay. We won. Like, we had no chance and we still pulled it off. Yeah, exactly. Praise the Lord. That's how it goes. Verse 14, God's like, all right, by the way, you need to think this through that it was Moses on top of the hill that's winning that battle. He's raising his hands in prayer. It's not like some magical, mystical thing. He's standing up there. He's holding up his hands in prayer the same way that he held up his hands to to help Israel cross the Red Sea, it's the, same, it's the same strategy, right? Like, we can't do this. We need to be before God and acknowledge that he's the only one that can do that. So we're going to pray and just pray that God wins it for us because we're not gonna, it's not going to happen. And so the reminder for Joshua is, okay, we're going to write this down, the fact that God won the battle, and we're going to remind Joshua, good job doing your part, but also remember God did all the work, right? That's the really important part of this. So as Joshua is experiencing this success, as he's experiencing this, this victory over the people that he's supposed to fight against, he's reminded by Moses, hey, this is supposed to be a thing that God did. It's not about what you did. It's not about the fact that you're beating Amalek. It's the fact that God gave you the victory. It's, it's Moses' prayer and God's grace that, that brought us to this place. That is very tough to hear if you're not a humble person. Like, who do we credit with our victories? Because I know when I have a victory, I'm pretty sure that I won, <laughs> right? Like, I don't go into it thinking like, oh, thank you, God, for the victory. Like, I might say that some of the time, but a lot of times in my heart, I'm thinking like, yeah, good job. I handled this. I'm pretty amazing. Right? Like that's our, that's our default. That's what we automatically go to is how good we were and how successful we were and how much like, wow, I really crushed that one. And we don't stop and say like, without the grace of God, none of this happens. That's not our default. We need to look back and remember the way that Joshua was supposed to look back and remember, hey, God did this and you just got to participate in what God was actually doing. Right, So much we, we assume that it's our intelligence and our bravery and our skill that sort of accomplish the thing that we're looking for. And our praise is, God, thank you for, you know, sort of rubber stamping the victory that I was going to win anyway. 
Like that's kind of how we approach it some of the time. And it's easy to get lulled into this idea that God's accomplishing what he wants to, but man, he's sure glad to have me on his team doing a lot of the hard work for him, right? Like that's, that's just how we start to think about ourselves when we see success. And, and it's a mess. It's a problem because if it goes well, it's the grace of God. And if it goes badly, it's probably my sin that screwed it up. Like there's not, a, there's not a, a way where God wins a victory because of me being awesome. Like it doesn't ever work like that. It, it works with God is awesome and he wins and then that's the whole plan. Like that's the only option. So we have to just focus on, listen, when we win, when we have victory, when we have success, we have to make sure that we're saying it was a God thing, not a me thing. And not just when it's obvious that it's a God thing and I had no ability, but also when it seems like, no, I probably could have handled that on my own and, and recognize that that was still God. It was still him accomplishing what he wanted and, and I'm just along for the ride. So the second little anecdote we're going to look at with Joshua, and I think this is one where he learns humility a little bit, um, is going to be in Numbers 11. Uh, so again, I have to set this up a little bit because it's a long story. Uh, God has spoken to Moses on the mountain uh, and the people rebelled and then Moses came down and God showed himself faithful to the people. Um, and so now Moses is looking at the people and saying, hey, I probably need some help in managing these people. And there's been a lack of leadership and so now we're gonna have some more leadership. And so God, Moses prays, and there's some back and forth, and God says, all right, here's the solution for the lack of leadership. So Numbers 11, we're going to start in verse 16. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So the plan is we're going to bring 70 guys that are leaders and elders in Israel, and they're going to come and they're going to have a meeting with Moses, and God is going to give them some of the leadership ability and spirit that he's given Moses. And so the Holy Spirit was sort of with Moses in a unique way, and God says we're going to, we're going to evenly distribute that among these 70 guys, and so we've got a little bit more leadership throughout the nation. It's not all relying on Moses. Uh, so we're going to skip down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to camp. So here we see Joshua following Moses and he actually has to learn something. He has to be humble underneath Moses and he actually has to allow himself to be taught what God's attitude is in a certain situation. So Joshua is, he's, 
Moses' assistant, and he's in absolute awe of his leader. He looks at Moses, and he's like, this is a guy that has leadership qualities. He's the guy that talks face-to-face with God. He knows that Moses is a great leader. He's seen what God has done through Moses. He's like, this is the guy we need to follow. He's amazing. He had front row seats to all of Moses' greatness. And he's excited about what God's doing, and he wants to make sure that his guy, Moses, gets the credit for what God's doing. And so when, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and descends on these guys, he's like, okay, as long as they're getting it from Moses, I'm good. But as soon as there's these other guys, I'm not sure that that's okay. We got to stop these guys. We don't want them to have like power or authority or leadership ability separate from Moses. Like that's not okay. And so then Moses comes and he's like, no, no, no. If the Holy Spirit's working, We need to get on board with that wherever that is. Moses is humble enough to recognize it's not about him. And he pushes back on Joshua. He's like, hey, man, it's not about me. It's about God working. We actually want the Holy Spirit as much as possible. This is a good thing. So it's kind of a a pushback on Joshua and his the, the amount that he's impressed with Moses. Like he's so happy with Moses and Moses' leadership. And he's got to take a look back and say, is it about Moses or is it about God? He's got to learn something as, as a follower in order to, to be a better leader. And so it, it's kind of, you understand where he's coming from in that it's good that he respected his leader. It's good that he respected Moses and, and Moses' relationship with God. But he doesn't recognize that God is bigger than that. And so he wasn't really prepared to, to follow Moses the way that he, he ought to have. He should have been a little bit more humble, a little bit more willing for the spirit of God to work. And so Moses is kind of leaning into him like, hey man, you gotta, be, you gotta pull back on this a little bit. It's not about me, it's about what God's doing. And so we have to make sure that our focus as we're following is about what God is doing and not a single person, but also and I think this is maybe the the part where the teachability comes in, we have to be willing to hear the pushback on our ideas from people that are walking with God. Like, we have to admit that maybe we're not right 100% of the time. Like, I get that you're right a lot. I'm not arguing with that. You're mostly right, for sure. Um, But there's going to be times in our lives when we need to hear from mentors and leaders saying, like, "Mm, I think that you think about this differently than God does. And maybe you need to re-examine where you're at and think through what God's actually doing and maybe go about this in a slightly different way. Like God wants to use all of us, but if we're unwilling to hear what other godly people are saying, it's probably more about us than we realize. Like we're making it about us and it ought not be. And so we need to make sure that we're spending time with godly mature people that, that we're allowing ourselves to be mentored, that we're putting ourselves in a position where we can hear from people that have a lot of wisdom. And it doesn't mean that you've got to find like that one person that's like super godly. It's, it's a lot of times a collection for us, right? Where there's a lot of different people that are walking with God that are around us and we need to make sure that we're listening to those voices and allowing God to speak through those people to us. Because a lot of times, a lot of times, the Holy Spirit speaks through believers, right? Like if we all have the Holy Spirit, and we're all listening to what God is saying, then a lot of times the things that we're going to say are informed by the Holy Spirit if we're actually walking with him. And so the more that you can spend time with spirit-filled, humble Christians and hear what they're saying, the better chance you have of actually understanding what God's trying to do in in a circumstance. And so Joshua has to learn from Moses, his ideas aren't necessarily exactly what God is doing. It's maybe more about 
what God is doing that other people are seeing and understanding, and, and he hasn't maybe grasped the whole thing. So maybe you don't know everything, and maybe you need to make sure that you're hearing from other people that are walking with God. And, and I'm saying this, and, and I'm not a humble guy. We've already talked about that. But I, I do really put an effort into hearing especially what I hear from other godly people, right? Because I, I put, I know I'm the one that's on the stage, right? But it, I know that if it's me, then it becomes a problem over time. And so I've got to make sure that I've got other godly people that are speaking into my wife, into my life. I'm saying that and I'm thinking my wife is one of the big ones, right? As she walks with God, that's good for me. It, my dad, the other elders here, the teaching team, people in my small group. Like I have to surround myself with people that are trying to walk with God so that I can hear what God's doing in their lives and, and I become better in my relationship with God because of them. And we all need that. We all need to have people that we can be surrounded with that can point us toward God. So my question here is, who do we allow to mentor us? Who has permission to push back on, on what we think? Who has permission to kind of challenge us in our relationship or in, in our thinking? Who has the relationship with God that we respect and admire that we know we can get an honest opinion from them and it's a good chance that it's, it's something that, that's God-honoring? We need to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a position where we can hear that from other people, where we've got the humility to say, I don't know everything, I need to hear from the Holy Spirit and I'm not sure what my next step is. So let me hear from you. Let me hear from you. Let me hear from you. And you can help me in, in understanding what God's trying to do here. We need to encourage each other. We need to be encouraged. That's a part of just being the body of Christ. All right, one last verse. But this is, I think, the key to understanding Joshua, not just humil his humility, but also him in all the success that he has. Exodus chapter 33. Um, it's just going to be worship, verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So this is before we've got a temple. This is before we've got centralized worship. And so Moses would sort of go to this tent outside the camp and he would speak to God face to face. So that was, that was this unique relationship that Moses had with God where he's praying and it's, it's a different relationship than maybe we experience. Joshua's there as Moses' assistant. He's not the one that God's going to meet. But he stays there because he recognizes this is the presence of God and, and he wants to be in the presence of God. That's his priority. So Moses has this very personal, very intimate relationship with God. He talks with God. And, Mo, and Joshua was sitting there and he's like, I need that. I need that relationship with God. I've got to put myself in a position, not just where I hear from Moses, but also where I can actually have a relationship with God. I need a better relationship with God. He doesn't have the special prayer tent for himself. He doesn't have uh, a Bible, honestly. Like when we think about when scripture was written, Joshua was probably writing down what Moses is telling him for the first five books of the Bible. Like that's probably how we get Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy. And so there's no spot where he can go that he's like, this is where I see the presence of God. Or, or like there's so much less that he has. But the thing that he does have is this spot where God speaks with Moses. And he's like, that's the spot where I need to be. That's kind of the only chance I have. And so that's where I'm going to place myself. 
Like we get the opportunity to say, I want to spend time with God. And what do we do? We take out our Bibles and we sit down for a couple minutes in the morning. We read, we pray, we have that devotional time, right? Or we're like, hey, I need to listen to some Christian music or, or whatever it is that you do as a part of your relationship with God. Like I guarantee you, Joshua didn't have that option, right? There was no podcast for him to listen to. Like, oh yeah, no, that challenges my, my thinking about Jesus. Like he doesn't have that. He's got one thing. And that's just the presence of God in this one spot. So that's where he goes. He's focused on, I need to develop a relationship with God. So that heart of worship, that heart of, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be in the presence of God. I have that desire. That's the thing that really sets up his humility and and it sets him up for the, the success that he has. As I was reading through this, I was thinking of some of the verses that we covered in Matthew when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Right, so Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Right, that desire, that I want that thing more than anything else. I want the presence of God. I want to stand in his presence and and have that relationship with him. And and Jesus says, yeah, that's a good thing, and also that that will be satisfied. Or Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, listen, if you put your relationship with God first and foremost in your life, if that's your priority, a lot of the other stuff is going to work itself out because you're walking with God in a way that, that makes him the priority. And even if it's hard, even when it's difficult, you still have that relationship with God to carry you through that. And so we see Joshua doing this before Jesus, before any of these sort of written down examples that we've got, he's doing this. He's saying, I need to make sure that I've got a relationship with God first and foremost. That's my number one priority, and I want that relationship first. And the humility that he has flows out of his time with God, right? And that has to be the way that it is for us too. If humility is about our right relationship with our creator, that means that we've got to seek God, we've got to seek a relationship with him if we want to be humble, We focus on God, who he is, what he's done, not just in our lives, but broadly. That's the thing that leads us toward humility. There's not any substitute for spending time with God. Like you can't do anything else and get to the place you need to be spiritually or humbly or anything like that. Like you have to just spend time in the presence of God. And there's different ways to do that. I acknowledge that. But a lot of the time it's read the word of God, be in prayer. Focus your heart on what he's doing, what he's saying, and and listen to that. It it has to be a relationship. And if you don't start there, then a lot of the other stuff doesn't work. And and even our service, we see Joshua through this whole thing. He's going to do a lot of things for God. But if the things that we do for God don't flow out of our relationship with God, it's kind of pointless. It's not actually as helpful as we think it is. A lot of times we, we try and make our service a substitute for the actual relationship we have with God, right? Like, okay, well, God, if I do these five things, then we'll have a good relationship. And God's like, I don't want you to do stuff. I want to spend time with you. It's, it's a relationship. We have to pursue that relationship with God and with humility and with the desire to be taught, to, with the desire to learn that we can really have that, that close relationship. My, my, third, my fourth application question is this. How much time do we spend actively seeking the presence of God? Like, do we spend time in the presence of God because we feel like we have to and we check it off? Or do we think, wow, I have the opportunity to actually spend some time with the creator of the universe? 
Like, where's our heart? Is it, is it a thing that we feel obligated or we check it off a list because we feel we need to? Or is it actually about, I want a relationship with God. I want to spend time in the presence of God and just enjoying his, his presence and, and that relationship. Because that has to be the foundation of our Christian lives. It has to be the foundation of everything that we do, that relationship with God. And if we don't start there, then everything else just becomes really a chore and difficult because we don't have that, that relationship. So again, our, our big idea this week is that being humble and teachable is the result of what? A relationship with God. And then as we do that, that gives us the chance to grow into maturity and service. So thinking through what we've talked about sort of the whole time, it starts with, have we experienced God's deliverance? Have we actually started at a point where we recognize that we're sinners, that we're far away from him, and that we need that relationship, and that it takes Jesus to make that? Like, we can't, we can't build that relationship on our own. It has to be him. It has to be his grace and his love that changes our lives, right? And then once we get to that point, then it's, are we honestly giving God the glory for what we're doing, or are we kind of taking a lot of the credit for what we accomplish. Is it about us or is it actually about what God is and what he's doing? And then as we honestly praise God for, for what he's doing and who he is, we need to place ourselves in relationships where other people can speak wisdom into our lives. We have to be mentored. We have to be built up into the people that we're trying to be, right? So we have to place ourselves intentionally in those relationships and be humble and teachable with other believers, and then ultimately, all of that is only going to come from an ongoing relationship where we're actively spending time in the presence of God, where our worship is, is not just here on Sunday morning for an hour, but, but a life that really reflects that desire to have a relationship with God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace toward us. We thank you for the humility that Jesus displayed when he came to earth, that he allowed himself to become a human being in order to build that relationship with us. I pray that we would, as, as Paul writes in Philippians, have that same mind, that the same way that Jesus humbled himself and chose to, to let go of his power, his authority, his, 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 even his deity, the, the way that he was as God, and, and we now have to choose to, to make those same sacrifices where we let go of the things that we think we could have or the things that we want. We don't cling to our rights, but we recognize that we need to be humble as Jesus was humble. I pray that that would be our, our heartbeat and that it would emerge from a relationship with you, that the fact that we spend time with you, the fact that we have a close relationship with you would drive all of that. Uh, we pray this morning that you would just help us to become people that are truly in awe of you and that that's where our humility would come from. We pray this in your name. Amen.